Come on, do you believe that today, that as the Lord speaks to you, that you're willing to go? Do you believe that you would do that? (laughs) Not just sing that, amen? It's a good song to sing, but it's a lot harder to do sometimes. Where you go, I'll go. What you do, I'll do. Man, thank you guys so much. Thank you, Kunle. Uh, Man, I have such a great appreciation for our people in our church. Uh, I come from uh, different churches that I've uh, been a part of, different denominations, and uh, I was raised Anglican. Maybe some of you guys know that, and uh, got saved in a charismatic church in Toronto, Canada, and uh, worked in a Baptist church, Pentecostal church, non-denominational church, and I feel like uh, our church is special not just because I'm here, but especially because the people of our church um, have been such a blessing. And I don't know if, if you guys know this uh, as a church body, but the amount of people that are volunteering behind the scenes at New Song is unbelievable. And I was counting, I was trying to put together some hours, you know, at least this week in the, in the office, there was so much buzz I felt like I already had a full staff, you know, because there's people coming in every day doing something and, and, and getting a hold of it, and, and there's been so much traction happening um, behind the scenes. We have so many volunteers taking care of our operations, coming into the office to help Diane. We got people hosting parties, and we got people stepping in to teach on Wednesday nights. I mean, it is unbelievable. And I think uh, we should give them, those that are serving, one more hand if we can. Because without them, um, I'm good enough to know that uh, I can do this on my own. (laughs) Believe me. And uh, so I'm so thankful for people that are serving every week and they're giving of your time. And if you're looking for ways to serve at New Song Church, I want to encourage you to go ahead and uh, send me an email, send, call, call Diane in the church office, and we will find you a spot. There is un, uh, there's endless opportunities, endless opportunities. We will make up a title for you if that's what it needs to happen. <laughs> I will make up a job description for you to, to, if you want, and uh, we're just so thankful that you're here. Well, today we are starting, uh, actually, we're ending our series called Steps. And uh, we've been taking steps over the last few weeks uh, to get our heart and our faith in line with each other. That's what's been happening. And last week, we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. How many guys were here last week? Yeah, let's show of hands. Okay. A few guys weren't here. And we talked about having the Holy Spirit begin to take root in your heart for the fruit of the Holy Spirit to come alive. In other words, there's nothing that we can do other than allowing the Holy Spirit to take root in our lives. And as we allow the Holy Spirit to do that, there is fruit in our life. And as I was preaching this last week, in fact, it was this service last week, Uh, The Lord just spoke to me, 
And I don't know if you've uh, taught before. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will give you things while you're teaching. And you're like, oh, that was so good. I should have put that in the outline. Where was that? And uh, last week, uh, I was praying uh, over the week uh, and about this message. And I was going to preach something else. And the Lord said, you talked about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And uh, that's good. And there was nothing wrong with that. But did you talk about the heart? And I said, oh, yeah, that's right. What about people that are saying yes to the Holy Spirit and have for years, months, days, weeks, decades maybe, and you're saying yes to God, yes to the Holy Spirit to come into your life, but the condition of your heart is not right. What do, what do you do then where your will is actually saying, hey, I want to change, I want to do things for God, I want to say yes to God, and I am, but really my life is not changing. Why is that, Pastor? And the Lord reminded me of this passage in Matthew. Maybe you've heard about it. Uh, it's in Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. And uh, it's, it's kind of a really well-known parable in the Bible. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus uh, says and talks about another parable. How many of you guys have heard that word before, parable? You've heard that? Yeah? Lots of you guys. If, you, if you're new to church, uh, what the word parable means is a story. Jesus loved to teach through stories. I love stories. I love learning through stories. And in fact, in my life, I've made it a habit to learn from the mistakes of others so I don't have to. So I love documentaries. I don't know if you guys like documentaries. I love documentaries. All you sports fans out there, any sports fans, yeah? And uh, I love this, uh, the series, 30 for 30, ESPN. You guys know what I'm talking about. And uh, they talk about how the, uh, these athletes or the stories, the behind-the-scenes look of people's lives and how you know, they were once successful and they lost it all. Or the narrative might be they came out of nowhere and they weren't even selected for their high school basketball team and they ended up being MVP of the league. You know who I'm talking about, right? Uh, we're talking about maybe someone who was raised in Akron and came out of nowhere and the obstacles that he faced and uh, defied the odds and brought this city a championship and he left again. <laughs> you know? I love these documentaries. You know, last yesterday I, I was on Netflix and I was watching a documentary on Tesla and how he was uh, really one of the most brilliant minds in history, yet most of us only know about Thomas Edison. And uh, Tesla actually did quite a few things, more than Edison ever did. And you just don't hear about him. And they talked about the failure of why they didn't hear about him. And so when Jesus talks about stories, it gets my attention. And if you're new to Christ and you're like, hey, pastor, I just don't really like reading and doing devotions, I want to encourage you to read the stories in the Gospels. It will keep you entertained. And so sometimes Jesus would say a story and he would leave the punchline out. How many of you guys have friends that say a joke forever and it takes forever 
and ever, and they just never get to the punchline. You know anybody? Don't look to your left or right. I see some eyes moving right now. So sometimes he would actually say the story and actually explain what the story meant. And this is one of those times, as we look into this chapter, that Matthew's recollecting and saying, Jesus not only said the story of the parable of the sower, he then explains what the parable meant. So let's pick up on Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. That day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. And large crowds gathered to him, so he got into a boat and he sat down in it, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. Can you picture that moment where Jesus is on a boat, everybody's on the beach, and listening to him? He must be an incredible storyteller for people to be on a beach and focused on a person in a boat. <laughs> the fog is on the water. All you can hear is Jesus. And he says this, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on good soil and yielded a crop. And if you would help me read, some a hundredfold, some 60, and some he who has ears, let him hear. And then I want to skip down because Jesus basically explains to the disciples, hey, he kind of gives them an intro because they ask him, what does this mean? You know, like you're always talking in stories. Can you please let us know the truth? And then he talks to them in verse 18. He says this, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one, our enemy, the devil, comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself or herself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word or seed, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes un. 
fruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. What was the difference? Was it the soil? Was it the sower? Was it the seed? What was the difference for the fourth soil, or really the fourth heart, for it to be fruitful? And not just in addition, it was multiplied fruitfulness. What was the difference? See, all four soils had the same sower. They had the same kind of seed. They were sown at the same time. No, this was not wintertime and spring and the summer and the fall. No, this is the same season. And it was the season to plant. I've asked myself this question so many times. What is the difference between the person that is fruitful and the person that is not. And I'm not talking about people outside the church. I'm talking about us here inside the walls. What is the difference? Is it the soil? Is it the seed? Is it the timing? And the Lord really showed to me, I believe, what the difference is. It's when it's time for the seed to be planted, are you willing to say yes? See, so many of us sit in church, maybe you're active in church, maybe you have God part of your life, but how many times have we really said yes to what he is doing? Not just what we want in our lives, but what he is doing. What if we're not ready for it? Well, God, I don't want to go to Cleveland. I'm kind of established here in Texas. I just want to stay in Texas. I just want to be here. You can use somebody else in Cleveland. What if we say no and without knowing it, God is sending us seeds in a certain time and we are refusing the will of God in our lives? I believe for many of us, it is a time that God is planting seeds. Are you saying yes? And this is why it's so important that we learn to allow Jesus to manage our expectations of how our life pans out. See, this parable is as much about expectations of what you think your life should look like and how things should turn up more than it is about the miracles that's needed for the seed to actually become a plant. How's your expectations today? Are you waking up every day and expecting God to do what he needs to do and I will come in line with that? Or are you saying, God, that promise that you gave me last year, it's not panned out and I really don't know why. Could it be that you have not said yes to the seed that he's wanting to plant. 
When was the last time you were so in love with Jesus that you would be dedicated to him over all of the other things in your life? And I am not talking about church, right? When are you so dedicated that every morning you wake up, you're saying, God, there's a purpose for today and you want to use me today. You want to do something special in my life today. I'm saying yes to every seed that's coming my way. Because if you're like me, you read that story and you did a checklist, right? You're saying, well, I'm not the first ground. I'm not hard. I go to church. I do what I need to do. I'm not the second ground. I'm not the third ground. I'm not where thorns come up and kill me. I'm the fourth one, pastor. I do everything I need to do to be a Christian, but I'm asking you this one question. Is your heart receptive to what God wants to do every day? Because there's seeds coming your way. So what is the urgency of these seeds? Because you don't know what you need and when you need it. These seeds are not just for you to be famous or you to be used by God. These seeds might be seeds of grace that sustain you, seeds of peace that sustain you, seeds of joy that give you joy when you're in a hopeless situation. These seeds are being sown in a special time by a special person. Jesus needs to help us manage our expectations. That's the only way this is going to be possible. Because if we try to manage this, we're going to mess it up. In fact, the outcome of a life worth living is directly related to your expectations for God to be at the center of it. Let me say that again. The outcome of a life worth living is directly related to your expectations for God to be at the center of it every day. It's related to it. So if you're in a place in your journey with God and you're stuck, I'm telling you, begin to look for the seeds in your life. You will be shocked how the Holy Spirit is nudging you a lot of the times of the day. And he's directing you and he's giving you what you need. All you got to do is manage your expectations. So what do I need to do, pastor? You need to raise your expectation to what God can do in your life. If you think that God can only do this much, it's time to say, God, I'm all in and raise the expectation or the ceiling of your expectation to another level. The Holy Spirit is not going to come into your life and bust through the door and take over your life and say, here's the assignment, go do it. He's not going to do it. If you're waiting for him to do that, you're going to be waiting. And it's going to be a long, cold winter. And we're going to be here a year from now in the same spot talking about the same things. But if you manage your expectations and raise it higher and say, Holy Spirit, where you go, I'll go. What you say, I'll say. What you do, I'll do. You'll be surprised how much God can do in your life. 
and how little you need the church. Did I just say that? See, I need you to come every week. I do. Attendance matters. I think it's great that we gather and fellowship and we worship together and we celebrate what God has done in the past week in our lives. But how many times, again, do we wait on the church to give us daily bread? I've often given this illustration. If I just talk to Audrey on Sunday mornings, how long do you think our marriage is going to last? For those of you who are married here, do you know how much work marriage takes? Amen. (laughs) Frank's the most experienced back here. He's like, yep. It takes work. What makes you think that you don't have to manage your expectations of what God's going to do in your life? What makes you think he's just going to come and like bust through the door and say, ta-da, here's your purpose. You've got to engage him every day. What are the seeds that he's planting? I remember years ago, I was in Bible college. And before I got into Bible college, uh, I'm still young, praise God. But this is about a decade or more ago. And uh, I remember sending out support letters, okay, and, uh, for helping me in Bible college, because that's, that's what you did. You kind of, you know, as an international person coming to the States, I didn't get loans, so I had Jesus. Guess who paid my bills? Jesus. You get on your knees real quick when all you got is Jesus, you know? <laughs> You're not the government, not your parents, just Jesus. So you get on your feet, your feet, your, your knees, and you start praying. And I remember the Lord just, you know, telling me that he was going to sub- subtract the names and the list that I had as I was presenting this before the Lord. And I was interning in a, in a church as a youth pastor, barely making it. And uh, the pastor actually told me uh, in the church, it was kind of awkward, to be honest, this is years ago, that uh, the goal wasn't to grow the youth ministry, it was just to kind of manage, you know, this thing and just kind of keep it nice and quiet and cool. And I was like, what kind of youth ministry is that? We want this thing, you know, growing and, and leaves and bounds. Young people don't want to be part of something boring. So anyways, I, I was in the altar of this church in downtown Toronto, and I'm crying before the Lord, and I've dwindled it down. I had a massive list, and, and, and the Lord has dwindled it down to 12 envelopes, people, <laughs> for financial support for my ministry. And I'm pouring my, uh, my eyes out, my guts out, and telling the Lord, Lord, where you go, I'll go. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll be where you're at. And I remember the Lord telling me, you don't have to be perfect. I said, well, but God, I mean, this is getting crazy. You have taken a list of probably over 100 households and you dropped it down to 12 and now you're telling me you don't have to be perfect? What do you mean? See, the Lord was teaching me that I needed to manage my expectations to match the expectation that God has for my life. So I have these 12 envelopes in front of me. They're laid out, tears on them, 
Sorry for the people that actually received those letters. And they're sealed with the, the stamp. And I remember like sending it out and putting it in the mail. And the Lord just told me, I just want you to begin to change your expectations one degree at a time. And I said, I, I thought I had to be this, this perfect person. I thought I had to come from this certain kind of family. I thought I had to have connections in ministry. I thought I needed to know people in America when you're a Canadian citizen trying to come to a foreign country. That's a good plan. I thought I had to fill out the forms to, before I got to the border and they gave me a visa. They did that back then. I thought I had to figure this all out. And God said, no, just, just one degree at a time. And what he told me and promised me was, if I changed my expectation one degree at a time, a decade from now, you are going to be so much further than where you were, you would not recognize where you're at. See, all you got to do is change the trajectory of your life one degree. So many of us are trying to hit the home run and trying to be like somebody else and walk somebody else's journey. And the Lord's saying, why don't you just walk your journey and change one degree at a time and be faithful to that journey and see that that one degree over a period of time ends up being so much closer to what God wants, you'd be shocked. No, you don't have to do a complete 180. God is not disappointed in you. You just have to do it one degree at a time. Some of you have dreams in here and you're saying, God, when is it going to happen? One degree at a time. Some of you are in foreign places and you're saying, I don't really know. I just started a new job. I'm in this place. And how do I make one degree at a time? Some of you are asking the question, when is the man of my dreams going to come into my life? When is the woman of my dreams coming into my life? Why don't you change your life to reflect Jesus one degree at a time? And I guarantee you'd be shocked how fast this thing happens. That must be all the single people. Come on, somebody. All the married people are like, well, I don't know what that meant. That meant, that meant hope for some of our folks. The outcome of a life worth living is directly related to your expectations for God to be at the center of it. Is God at the center? See, I believe your heart sets the direction of your life. It is the compass that directs your life. I want you to imagine being in the forest and you have a compass. And this compass is telling you to go north or west or east, south, southwest, whatever it is. And I want you to picture literally your heart being that compass. Wouldn't it matter what goes into that heart? Wouldn't it matter what that heart's about? Wouldn't it matter how you take care of that heart? Yet we do everything on the outside and we forget to, to work on the heart. So what is the biblical definition of a heart? It's not the emoji love sign. It's not your love for one another, even though that's awesome. It's not agape love, even though that's maybe something you're into, and that's Christian, and that's great. We're not talking about Philadelphia here, you know what I mean? We are talking about the biblical definition 
of your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says this, above all else, guard your, your bank account. Nope. Your kids? No. Your family structure? No. Your church? No. Above all else, what? Guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Everything. The words that you say. How you say things. You know, I work with a lot of unchurched people that just get saved. And uh, one of the things I love to do is play basketball in some public places where no one knows me. And so most people think I'm a doctor or an IT professional or something like that, you know, because for me to speak English like this, got to be educated and must be, you know. And so in Fort Worth, we had a huge medical district similar to Cleveland. And so everyone's like wondering, until they find out I'm a pastor. So I always tell them, I'm not that kind of doctor. I'm the spiritual doctor. And then if you're really religious, they say, what religion are you the spiritual doctor for? I say, Christianity. They're like, whoa. Anyways, I talk to some of uh, unchurched people, and they always kind of clean up their act. You know, whenever the pastor's around, they finally find out I'm a pastor on the basketball court, and they clean up their act. They stop cussing. And so one of the, the top questions that's asked in public to me is uh, how do I stop cussing <laughs> by a new believer or someone who's like, how do, I, how do I, and you know what? I tell them all the time that it's nothing to do with catching your tongue. That is actually inaccurate. It actually has to do more with your heart. If you can address what's happening inside of your heart and what goes in it, I guarantee you, your life is going to change. I didn't even tell him scripture. I just say, hey, if you watch what's going into your heart and what, you, what comes out of it, God can change your life. The Bible teaches us that we're made up of body, soul, and spirit. Can I teach a little bit here? It's going to be a little, so just, they're going to put up this graph on there. This is my teaching side. So I want you to lean into what I'm saying, okay? If you're not like, if you don't like a lot of, you know, information, hang in there. Inspiration's coming. We're going to get this thing going. But hang in there. The Bible teaches us that we're made of body. That's our outer, our flesh, and our bones. Soul, which is our mind and our emotions, will and emotions. And spirit, which is our conscience, our connection with God, and intuition, the heart, according to scripture, is comprised of the mind, the will, your emotions, and conscience. You know, so many times, how many times do we try to change our mind? And we speak scripture over it. And God, change my mind. Renew my mind. Transform my mind. How many times do we address our will? God, I'm aligning my will. I'm saying yes to your will. I'm saying yes to you, God. That's your will. How many times do we address our emotions? Clint, hang in there. Be even keeled. Don't get too angry. Don't get too happy. Just come and be normal and be good as Christians. Let's contain our feelings. And you want to really cuss out at somebody? You're just going to close your mouth and say, God bless you, brother. <laughs> You're controlling your feelings. But we don't really address our conscience. See, the mind is where your intellect resides. Your will is where decisions 
are made. Your emotions consist of your feeling, and your conscience is where you discern what is right from wrong. So here's why the conscience is important. What if the experiences in your life were not right? What if you were raised in a home where what was wrong was considered what's right? What do you do when your past is full of wrong and you don't even know what is right? This is why the heart is important because the Lord wants to address and redefine your conscience as well for some of us today. Maybe you had the opportunity to be raised in a good home. Maybe you had godly parents. And this is why it's so important to raise your kids in the word of the Lord, to raise the next generation with what God's purpose is for their life so that every generation, there's a difference, that our ceiling becomes their floor. This is why it's important that your heart, it matters. If you're going to determine the outlook or the outcome of your life, evaluate the condition of your heart. And this is where I really feel like some of us are not confident in the will of God for your life. You don't know. In fact, every second of the day, if you're a really good Christian, you're saying, God, I'm, I'm down. I'm ready to go. Send me. I'll go. You're just saying that all the time and nothing's going on. And every time an opportunity comes up or every time a seed is planted, you're saying, oh, I don't know if you're going to come through, God. I don't know if things are going to be okay. I got a family to feed. And what about health insurance and cars? And what about a nice home, God, and a salary? I mean, all these things have got to line up, right, for the will of God to be perfect. And you lose confidence in the will of God because you're focused on everything else but our hearts. It is quiet today. <laughs> See, a transcendent life, a life that is making a difference, a life that is going to make a difference in the world we live in today, in your workplace, is not a guarded life. No. It is not something that you boycott. We are not going to go to Walmart because of fill in the blank. We're going to go to the corner and picket a business because they support fill in the blank. No, Christianity is not about boycotting things. It's about a guarded heart that makes a difference in the world we live in today. See, a guarded heart is what makes you walk into places where you are uncomfortable, but God is on your side. Not a guarded life. We've been living in a box, scared of the world as Christians, if that's what the gospel was telling us to do. No, we get out on the streets and we make a difference because our heart is guarded, not a guarded life. So I want to ask you, what are you boycotting today where you should be making a difference in? Well, Pastor Clan, you just, you don't understand my workplace. You don't understand what these people believe. You would be surprised what side of the political side they, they go and lean towards. Let me lean to both, just in case you guys are wondering which side. <laughs> what is the atmosphere and soil of your heart today? What an interesting perspective, right? 
when the sower is sending seeds, what is the atmosphere and the soil? What is the condition of that in our lives today? How many guys have an iPhone? Android, cell phone, anybody got a cell phone? Okay, great, great. You know what's interesting about the cell phone? Whenever this isn't working right, they tell you at the store to what? Restart it, right? To all my tech people here, you know that this is accurate because I restart it a lot. You can shut it down and you can restart it. When I shut down my phone and I restart it, my, phone's, my phone works better for a little bit until I get all the apps open again and it you know, stays on for a while. Then I have to restart it again. So many times our walk with God, we restart our heart, okay? And we hit shut down, restart, great message, great worship, great presence of God, great altar time, great fellowship, you know, great presence of God in your life. And every time it's like shut down and restart. But here's the difference that God is asking us to do with our heart today. There's another feature, which I don't recommend that you do often, Here's the reason why. The feature is called reset. You do not want to reset your phone. I'll tell you why. Because once you reset it, you are starting from scratch. That is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives today. He does not want you leaving here today without resetting your heart completely so he can decide what goes back in here. So some of our young people were amening to that. So let me explain what that meant. When you reset a device, you have to re-download your contacts, re-download your apps. You have to figure out what was on the phone again, and you have to re-download everything again. See, our problem with our walk with God and with, with our relationship and journey with Jesus is that we don't know how to reset and when to reset. We just keep restarting. We keep restarting and wondering why the same friend is part of our life. Will you just restart it? Of course, all the apps are going to be the same. Of course, all the influences in your life are going to be the same. Some of us need to hear this. It's a very practical tool that you don't have to like everybody. You need to love everybody. Some of those old contacts need to be reset. You are still having influences in your life that need to be reset. It needs to be gone. You're still thinking about yesterday's dreams when God has something fresh for you today and in your future, and you're looking at that missed seed, that missed opportunity. If God, would you just like beam me into like three years ago when you spoke to me, and I will align myself. God is waiting for you with a new seed. Have you reset your heart? And you're wondering how to make sense of it all. And God's saying, you got to reset. You got to stop restarting. So today I want to take a different approach to these four soils, these four hearts. Maybe you've heard this before. I want to ask you guys the condition of your heart. I want you to reflect here in the next few minutes as we go through the, the condition of these soils and what Jesus was teaching on the condition of your heart. The first is this, Jesus says in Matthew 13, verse 19, is your heart unresponsive? When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown 
in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Is your heart hard and tough and you're a tough guy? And the minute the word of God comes, whether it's in your life, it's not just on Sundays when the preacher's preaching, whether you're in prayer time, devotion, the enemy comes and snatches it away and you're wondering why I should try again. Pastor, I've tried so many times with this thing. and Really, every time there's the word of God in my heart, it just kind of feels like it's bouncing off and it's just not really hitting my heart like it should. You don't feel anything. Nothing bothers you anymore. You may even be coming to church, but you look back at your life and you come to a place where there's no hope. An unresponsive heart. Friends, I want to tell you today that if you have an unresponsive heart, God will give you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, after opportunity, after opportunity, and all you got to do is say yes to one of those opportunities. If you're saying, I, I really, my heart, pastor, my heart is just so messed up. It's hard. It's been torn apart. People have lied to me. Things have happened. God's saying, would you give me one opportunity? Would you give me one opportunity to speak into that heart? Would you do that today? See, hope is not a feeling. We're all looking for that feeling. God, give me hope. Hope is a person, and his name is Jesus. This is why this is, why this is so amazing. As we get closer to Jesus, there's hope in our life. When we fall down, it's like, all right, I'm coming right back up, Jesus. Because Jesus is right there to pick you back up and say, you can make it. Hope is not a feeling. So if you're waiting for a feeling to change, it's not coming. Run to Jesus. He is hope. Here's a second question for us in the second soil, the second heart. Was it once enthusiastic? As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, he immediately falls away. Some of us, there's been dreams that God has given us. But as soon as there was some pushback to the dream, as soon as someone left, or someone lied to you, or something negative happened, you gave up on the dream and said, it's not for God. It's not for me. I'm not qualified enough. I had a vision. I was once enthusiastic about how this could end up and and how this could pan out and how my life could be. But as soon as I got some pushback, I don't know. Jesus is telling us, that if you're here and you were once enthusiastic about the seed and you are no longer enthusiastic, Jesus is here to restore the joy of your salvation. When he first gave you the dream, did it really matter if it happened or not? No. It didn't. Do you want to know why? Because it was completely 100% about Jesus. See, when our dream becomes about ourselves, that's when we start worrying. 
That's when you're worrying if it's going to pan out or not, or who's involved in this dream. And so and so told me I was going to be a somebody, and they lied to me. My boss told me he was going to be give me a raise, and I actually got a bad review, and they actually took away money from me. Now I got to pay for health care. Last year they told me I didn't. He is the Alpha and Omega. What does that mean? You've heard that term before. He's the first and the last. He starts and he finishes. We don't got to worry about how this is going to pan out. For those of you that are walking in pain today, surrender your pain to Jesus. You're not fooling anybody. Everybody knows who you are. And as time goes on, your life will fall apart if you do not surrender your pain to Jesus as a Christian. You may think that you're holding on to that pain because you were once enthusiastic about something and now you're not and you're holding on to this pain and I'm going to go ahead and tell that person by not even talking to them and I'm just going to never let this go and you're dying from the inside out. Surrender your pain to Jesus and watch how enthusiastic your relationship with God gets. Surrender it to him. The third question for, for us today, and this may surprise you, but this is where I believe that most people in the church, the big C church live. Is your heart distracted? As far as, as for what was sown among thorns, excuse me, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Here's a person who hears and receives the word, says, yes, the seed gets into the soil and it begins to grow. Because we know that Jesus said the thorns grew up. So at one point, there was no thorns. So this was good soil. The thorns were not visible at the time when the seed was sown. The problem was that under the soil, there were large root systems from old thorn bushes that had never been dug out from the ground. They're just covered up. You know, if you're like me and you got a weed whacker, anytime you see a weed, you don't pull it out. You just buzz right over it. <laughs> and in, a, in like seven days, it pops back up again. I wonder like how many of us, you know, the Holy Spirit's watching us and we got this weed whacker, spiritual weed whacker, and we're going to the weeds in our lives. We're like just whacking it down. Here we go. Next week, it comes back up. Hey, would you help me with my issue? Brother in Christ, sister in Christ. And they come in, two weed whackers whacking it down. <laughs> And maybe it's 10 more days. And then you're like, man, I better bring the big dogs in, you know, and bring in the leadership team or the small group leaders. And then three weed whackers and you're knocking it down and it grows back up again. And then if you're really spiritual, that's when you bring in like the pastor. The pastor needs to know. And you got four or five weed whackers just hitting and bringing it down. And the Holy Spirit is telling me, would you allow me to get to the root of the issue? The root, which is the heart. Would you allow me to consider, consider allowing him to come and take the weed all the way from the root out? Can you imagine if you have an issue today? If there's something that you're hiding and the Lord knows, 
there's unforgiveness, there's secret sin, there's things that you need to work out in your marriage. Would you allow the Holy Spirit to come and whisper to you and pull that out? Can you imagine the freedom in your life when there's light in dark places and you don't have to manage and you don't have to sweat and put deodorant on because you're weed whacking all the time? Jesus does not say that this person falls away. No, he didn't say that. The distracted person remains in the church and would say that he or she is a Christian, but the ground of his or her life is so so crowded that their profession of faith is empty. I'm here to tell you that God can bring focus into your relationship with God. This is you. You don't have to feel like coming to church and feeling like a nobody every single time you walk in. You can walk in with a lot of hope and joy on your side because your Father is good. He will help you manage the roots in your life. But you got to allow Him to. Fix your eyes on Jesus. So many times we fix our eyes on the weed, the problem, the thorns. In uh, Orange, uh, we have a community garden in the front, kind of the back of the parking lot, but the front of the back of the parking lot, we have a community garden. I don't know if you guys know that, but it used to be thriving, and we're trying to get, you know, hopefully get it going again. And then Nancy, uh, who's sitting here on the front row, has... Her garden in the back, it's like 50 by 100 in the forest, like this enchanted thing. And uh, Leroy, James, and I, and Nancy just took a walk in the property, because there's a lot of property on the Orange Campus. And I came in through the net, and Nancy's explaining what the blueberries are and the raspberries, and I'm just thinking like, you know, Aria's going to love this little area, because she loves gardening too. And, And then in the same site, there were these massive weeds I mean, they were taller than me. They had to be at least seven feet. And uh, they looked like weeds, but they looked as big as a tree. And I said, I just not know. I was like, Nancy, uh, do you need help like cutting that down? Because <laughs> anytime I see a weed, I'm like, just cut it down, you know? And she told me, no, these are called iron weeds. You got to get into the roots and they kind of just get all entangled and it's really hard to do. In which I responded, well, that's not for a job for me. It's for a professional like Nancy to do, you know. So we will keep this thing growing. So many times we have a form of godliness in our walk with God. We're allowing these weeds to just be populated. If I was, you know, come and and spend a week with you or two weeks with you, you may behave, but once I'm gone, everything's going to come back to normal. And these weeds pop up. You know, I want to encourage you today, and this is not a discouragement, I want to encourage you to not live like that anymore. Do what it takes to get in there. Fold up your sleeves and get in there and get rid of these weeds in your life. 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5 says this, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, 
ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness on the outside, but denying its power on the inside, have nothing to do with such people because there's weeds all over their lives. I'm encouraging you today to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. He can clean up your life today in a moment. Would you allow him into your heart? The fourth and final heart that Jesus mentions was a heart that was receptive. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another, 60, and in another, 30. These are the people that receive God's word and let it become part of their lives. They allow God to lay claim to their lives. Nothing comes in or goes out without a word from God. Can you imagine in this room if all of us decided this week, that nothing was going to come in and out of our life without a word from God. Nothing. Nothing happens without the express consent of the Holy Spirit. God, I'm not moving an inch without a word from you. I'm waiting for a seed. A heart that is receptive is a heart that is multiplied. Too many times we live on addition and our works will get us better. They will. And you will slowly become better in your life. But the objective of Christianity is not good morals. It is not good fellowship. Believe me, in the world that we live in today, I think they may have better community. And therefore we are losing people from the church to the world. The objective of the gospel is that our hearts become multiplied as we receive a word from the Lord. What has he spoken to you today, yesterday? What are you holding on to that you need to allow the Holy Spirit to speak into? The verse says this, he indeed bears fruit and yields. Talking about the fourth heart that's receptive. Indeed, like it's obvious, like duh, of course. Of course he's gonna bear fruit. Of course Nancy has an amazing relationship with God. Of course so-and-so got healed. Of course they're changing the world. Of course the business is flourishing. Of course their family is awesome. Of course Christians are great neighbors and great employees, and great people to be around, of course. See, growth is an outcome. It's not something you manufacture. It's automatic. As you allow the Holy Spirit to speak into a heart that is open to God, growth automatically happens. And here's something that maybe some of us need to recognize today. 
It's not about quantity, nor is it about competition. In one case, a hundredfold. In another case, 60. In another, 30. Faithfulness breeds fruitfulness, but fruitfulness is not a competition. Some of you just need to feel that release being in church today. You're wondering why so-and-so's ministry gets blessed or so-and-so's home's awesome and -and so-and-so's family is great. You need to stop being in competition. You need to walk your own path and your own journey and allow the Holy Spirit to allow your fruitfulness to be part of your journey. You need to stop trying to be like somebody else. You need to be the original you, just like God created you to be. You may be a teenager in this room today, and God can use you. He's not looking at your age. He's not looking at saying, oh, you know what? You're 13. When you graduate college and get a degree, I'll use you. Some of you may be on the opposite spectrum, and you're saying, Pastor, um, They told me it's time to put it up. They forced me into retirement. And they got rid of me because they were paying me too much and the benefits were too much. And now I don't know what to do with my life. God's saying to you, it's not a competition. If you're 65 or older today, I'm telling you, God can use you in a matter of weeks. He can speed up things like you never thought possible. If you're in a place where you're in your 30s or getting close and you're wondering, just like every other 30-year-old, what's my life going to amount to? I'm trying to figure out my next 10 years. What kind of master's degree do I need to fulfill the will of God? You need one degree, and that's called a degree of a heart that is receptive. That's what you need. You don't need anything else. Yes, all that other stuff is great. All those things, you know. uh, We're starting to do some, get ready for some leadership development at the church and, you know, try to get things about influencing culture and we're going to do a lot of things at the church, but we don't need those things more than we need Jesus as a church. We need Jesus more than any system that we can put in place. We need Jesus more than any person. We need Jesus. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes today? Father, we thank you for your sweet presence today in such a simple truth. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that as they begin to move one degree at a time, Father, I pray right now that you begin to speak to each person with the response that they need to make or have, with the conversations or the next steps that they need to pursue right now, would you reveal that to them, Holy Spirit? I pray that it's not an emotional decision, but a decision that they remember for the rest of their lives. Lord, I pray for the seeds that are coming their way. I pray for the heart that is unresponsive, I pray that that heart begins to melt again and feel 
again that there's hope in the name of Jesus. I pray for the heart that was once enthusiastic and uh, just lost steam with the realities and the trials of life. Would you pull them closer and saying, it's okay, son and daughter, I had I understand. Would you pull them closer and say there's chance after chance, opportunity after opportunity. Lord, for the heart that is distracted, I pray in the name of Jesus that you'd bring focus. Help them to focus on who you are, not play games and allow weeds in their lives. I pray that you would help them to fix their eyes on you and you would begin to do what only you can do in their life. Lord, I pray for the heart that is receptive, that has done everything that they could possibly do, and they're willing with open hands to serve you, Jesus. Lord, would you use them? Would you do what only you can do? Not for their glory, but for yours. We thank you, Father, that you are good. Come on, let's just take a moment right now in the stillness of this moment. Would you just respond in your own way? Help us manage our expectations, Jesus. Help us to be more like you.